The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, the show for grassroots activists and community builders. I'm Laura Jones. Are you ready to rock? Utah's arts and culture sector is, and they are ready for you to come back to concerts, plays, and other live events. Tonight, we'll find out if you, the public, are ready. Based on data in a new survey conducted by some of our guests this evening. So coming up on the back half of the show, Crystal Young Otterstrom of the Utah Cultural Alliance. Matt Castillo, who directs Salt Lake County Arts and Culture, which has, oh, you know, a Bravenel Hall. Capitol Theater, Eccles Theater, Mid-Valley, Rose Wagner, Umoka, Arctic, Kyrene Gibb of Y2 Analytics, which conducted the study to find out if you're ready to come back to the theater. And Salt Lake Acting Company's Cynthia Fleming. She'll talk about what it's like to shut a theater and be hopeful about opening it again. Salt Lake Acting Company has the National New Play Network rolling world premiere of Audrey Cephaly's Alabaster coming up to tell us about as well. Let's do rallies and resources. If you go to KRCL, click Community Affairs, you'll find the Rallies and Resources tab and items such as this. Salt Lake County Health Department is offering vaccination clinics. In fact, until 8 o'clock tonight, you can go over to the Viridian Center, 8030 South, 1825 West in West Jordan. It won't cost you anything. Walk-ups welcome. No appointment required. Anybody 16 plus can go there. Tomorrow from 10 to 8, Zions Bank Real Academy, 14787 Academy Parkway in Harriman from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. tomorrow. Again, will not cost you anything. Walk-ups welcome. No appointment required. Anybody 16 plus can get a shot. And then Saturday, Mountain Creek Middle School, 5325 Bingham Rim Road in South Jordan. Again, 10 to 8, won't cost you anything. Walk-ups welcome, no appointment required. Anybody 16 plus can get a shot. Also on Saturday, KRCL's planting trees with Tree Utah from 9 a.m. to noon on the banks of the Jordan River by the Day Riverside branch of the City Library. Visit treeutah.org to sign up for a volunteer spot. And again, thank you to the more than 100 folks who supported KRCL during Radiothon in April and chose as their thank you gift a tree from Tree Utah. That is everybody working together to keep this radio station on the air. Trees in the ground and Tree Utah doing its good work. Thank you so much. They do want you to sign up, so just visit their website, treeutah.org. Also starting Saturday, Red Butte Garden Annual Spring Plant Sale and Fundraiser. Great way to get some plants in your garden and support another nonprofit in our community. Wednesday, May 12th is that Build Bikes for Kids in Salt Lake City at Squatters Pub. You do not have to know how to turn a wrench on a bike. They need all sorts of other support as well. Go to rallies and resources at krcl.org under the Community Affairs tab. Find the listing on Wednesday, May 12th for Build Bikes for Kids in Salt Lake City. And there's a link for you to sign up for a time slot to volunteer. And now a conversation with Third Space Network, which will be presenting the debut internet performance and workshop of Black White on Tuesday, May 25th, 6 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. local. On the one-year anniversary of George Floyd, the event is co-hosted by the Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company in Salt Lake City. I was able to Zoom with three of the creatives behind this project earlier today. Here's that conversation. We have creative director Randall Packer, also dancer-choreographer Daniel Sharon, performing from the Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company here in Salt Lake, and tenor and performance artist from his home studio in Los Angeles, Charles Lane. Welcome. Thank you so much for giving us some time on Radioactive. 
Thank you for being for asking us. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. I think it's a really difficult anniversary for a lot of folks and across the country. And I'm really interested in how the arts can help us have a difficult conversation. How does this come together? And maybe Randall, we should start with you as the creative director of Third Space Network. Tell us how this comes together. Okay, so, uh, so you know, we were very interested in, first of all, exploring uh, the internet as a medium for performance. And so it really, it really started uh, as, a, as a workshop experimentation with, uh, with my, uh, my studio here, which I refer to as the Underground Studio Bunker in Washington, <laughs> D.C. And so we're, we began to think about what we could do as, a, as, as an internet performance. And, and we put all, all of us together. There are four of us, actually. Gregory Kuhn is also the fourth member of our group. And so uh, I invited Charles and Daniel to perform. And, you know, and actually one thing that we have in common is that we, are, we all met at CalArts, all three of us. Okay. So that, that was kind of an you know, interesting aspect. But, but to answer your question, so, you know, seeing Charles, who's African-American, and Daniel, who's white, um, we thought we could, we could establish this dynamic between the two of them, black, white, to set up a kind of uh, metaphorical representation of the polarization that we're seeing in society right now that is so extreme. And so we're, we call the piece black, white, because we want to set up uh, the idea of contrast. And then we want to break down that contrast uh, through, uh, you know, as the piece evolves. So this is really interesting because of how you're technically doing it as well as um, metaphorically doing it, uh, the subtext as well. So Charles and Daniel, bring us into the creative process to get here. Was this a was this an improv thing to you? Was there a script? Was it bringing Charles, your voice, Daniel, your dance together and seeing what meshed Charles? Um, we actually started with zero. Um, I did not know Daniel at all. I worked with Randall and Greg in the past on projects. Uh, so first I met Daniel and uh, and then we just started to explore the idea of how two people in two different locations, him in Salt Lake City, me in Los Angeles, Randall in Washington, and I think Greg in Philadelphia or somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, and how we could bring that all together and create a performance that for the audience, it looked like we were in the same space. Uh, that's where we sort of began. Uh, and then I was sort of given the assignment of coming up with songs uh, that we might uh, dance to, move to, help create a kind of script or scenario. And so uh, I came up with, with three songs, and we decided to break it down into three movements. And uh, I live in downtown Los Angeles, so a very urban environment, and I would go on daily walks. And so I started to videotape uh, a couple of minutes of my daily walks. And my initial idea was that we would focus on neighborhoods. I mean, somehow neighborhoods seem to me like a huge metaphor for so many things about how people come together who are like-minded, right? That's sort of one idea of a neighborhood. 
And then neighborhoods have also been uh, controversial. I mean, it's also a way to keep people out, you know? And the fact that Daniel's neighborhood was so different from mine, you know, him being in a sort of traditional <laughs> neighborhood with single family homes and trees and lovely spaces, uh, as opposed to mine, which was mostly concrete and tall office buildings and public arts, uh, insti- uh, public art pieces. From there, I think we eventually moved into uh, the black and white theme and George Floyd. That was not, as far as I remember, the original impetus for our coming together. Uh, and so I also thought about, because one of the things that, that I didn't want to necessarily do, and I think Daniel felt the same way, was to make this piece a kind of rhetorical argument or discussion about racism and black-white relationships in America. Because, of course, we know now that uh, that discussion is really simplified, that our discussion about social justice and racism and privilege and all of those things is a much larger discussion than just a black and white one. Uh, So then I sort of turned the focus onto this idea of collaboration and what it means to collaborate, what it means to come together with people with perhaps two completely different backgrounds, two completely different ideas and worldviews and how you bring all of these desperate pieces and make something cohesive and beautiful. Um, And so that's where we have sort of ended up now. Charles, I'm curious about the three songs that you chose. Were these new creations or classic songs? No, they were, they're not. Um, One, I mean, one of the the pieces I'm really familiar with uh, was inspired by Nina Simone and it's called, I Wish I Knew How It Feels to Be Free. Um, The third piece that, that I chose was uh, Lean On Me. Uh, I think that was recorded by, tell me, somebody help me. Um, I forget. <laughs> off the top of exactly, my head. right? Anyway, and then the second piece was something that came to me. Bill I Withers. Was, That's where Bill we're Withers. Bill Withers. Yay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, the second piece came to me because I was working, one of the, my jobs is singing uh, in the Los Angeles Opera Chorus. And we had an opportunity to go back into the theater and and record a piece of music by Igor Stravinsky. And the piece is called Oedipus Rex. And anyway, a very small section of that piece uh, was based on this word, this Latin word, trivium, which basically means a, a crossroads, where three roads come together. And... Stravinsky had written this beautiful plaintive tune that was almost inspired by Bach, you know. And it just goes on like that. And it's only one word, and that word is trivium. But in the story of Oedipus, that is sort of central to the whole plot. It basically is where all where where everything comes together where 
the truth happens and you can't move you can't move past that point until you acknowledge an incident that happened that changed the trajectory of that community. Anyway, so those are the three songs. And that really brings together this black-white collaboration. And uh, Daniel Sharon from Ryrie Woodbury, you'll be performing from your studio here with Ryrie Woodbury in Salt Lake, Charles in L.A., uh, Randall handling things out of D.C., Greg in Philly. So, So all of this is coming together, and how do you get your dance into the conversation, Daniel? Well, that's a good question. I think it's a... I think the collaboration itself is also a metaphor for um, people uh, striving to understand each other and, and get along. And so I think it's really an interesting moment for all of us to come into this space based on a lot of the things that Charles was talking about a moment ago. Uh, we really came into the space and, and I feel like we've been having a lot of conversations as well as um, improving a lot together. And the beautiful thing about the technology is Randall's able to um, composite Charles and myself into the screen, as well as imagery that he's generating. And so it's really an improvisation between the three of us, Charles um, singing, um, me trying to move, and Randall um, orchestrating the technology and compiling us together. And I think sort of like understanding each other's like um, artistic languages is part of the, the process and, and the collaboration and the experimentation. So a great um, imagination is already taking place here with what Charles was sharing about the songs and what's coming together in Black White, which happens on Tuesday, May 25th, the one-year anniversary of George Floyd. And it's co-hosted by Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company here in Salt Lake City. But Randall, how can people participate? Because the performance is happening in all these different locations. So what do I need to do as a member of the public to participate? Well, we, um, you know, the Third Space Network uh, is the idea of providing a kind of theatrical, virtual theatrical space for performance and for the audience. And so the audience is, uh, I mean, this may sound like a typical Zoom uh, scenario, but it's really not uh, because the audience is in our platform that's called Crowdcast. And we encourage the audience to really to be alive and to participate and to make comments and to uh, in a chat space. And so the audience is able to communicate with each other during the performance, which is something that you really don't want to do in a, in a physical theater, right? Yeah. Um, but on the internet, people are free to watch uh, and to share ideas uh, and to you know, relate to one another. And, and, and so the audience really has a role in, in this because they, they're active. They're participatory. Uh, it's not like they're on on the stage, but they're part of the whole um, third space environment, which really refers to the idea of the first space being the local, the second space being the remote, and then the third space is that shared space where we are right now here in Zoom talking to you. So we, we fully exploit that whole medium uh, by bringing everybody together and then Charles and Daniel are working with green screen uh, technology, uh, and and then I can pull them out of their spaces and put them into a virtual set, and and so that they they become uh, entangled and uh, enmeshed in inside of a world that we're creating of of uh, imagery of of 
COVID and of uh, George Floyd and uh, Black Lives Matter uh, rioting and and protests and so on. All these elements are are there for them to interact with while they are negotiating their relationship to one another. Well, Randall Packer, Charles Lane, Daniel Sharon, break a leg on the 25th. And thank you so much for giving us some time that we could amplify your voice and get this out to the folks here in Utah to participate in Black White on the 25th. We'll put a link in the show notes, folks, so do check that out to reserve your spot for Black White. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Laura. And lastly, some breaking news today, a landmark victory for transgender rights in Utah. After three and a half years, the Utah Supreme Court ruled today in a case that confirmed the right of transgender Utahns to change the name and gender marker on their birth certificates. It's a landmark ruling that allows transgender Utahns to fully integrate as equal members of society. So, of course, you know, I had to call up Sue Robbins, our former Monday night host on the Everyday People edition, to get her reaction. And here's what Sue had to say. So I'd like to start first by recognizing the most two important people in this, and that's Sean Childers Gray and Angie Rice. Uh, they didn't get their gender marker changed when they applied for it within the court system up in Weaver County, and they sued to get that change done. And it went to the Supreme Court three and a half years ago, and it's taken this long for the ruling to come out. So my heart's out to them. It's been a long road just to get a ruling. And I know it's been very difficult for them. So I want to recognize that first. So why this is important for the transgender community is we have a law on the book, a code that allows us to change our gender marker in the court system. And who's that, that in the that who's that in the background? So you got to explain for folks who don't know we've yeah. we've reached you on Zoom as you're headed to the Tetons, and you got your dogs in the back. Yeah, I've got Jazz in the back, and she's got a little bit of anxiety going on, so she. She does a little bit of whining throughout, so that's what we got there. But um, she she really loves to go out on these trips and be outdoors, so she's excited. <laughs> but the, so the, the reason why this is important is we have to go through to get a court order to change our name and to change our gender marker, and then we use that court order for various changes, like with the Social Security Department, with getting our birth certificates updated. <laughs> Uh, I changed my records in the military using my court order. So it's a very important document, document for the transgender and the intersex community if we need to do a gender marker change as an intersex individual. So we we normally go in and we, it's fairly automatic in Utah except for a few judges who felt like the law wasn't clear enough. So they weren't given any and that happened to Sean and Angie. So they sued. And that lawsuit went up, and today the court ruled that it would go back to the lower court, that the, the lower court was not interpreting the law correctly, and that they will give them their gender marker change. So the, Angie and Sean will have to go through a little bit more paperwork, but the court has been directed to award them their change. So this now sets the precedent that any transgender or intersex person in Utah who goes for a gender marker change should get it. And I expect it'll still have the same criteria like it does with the name change, where if you're trying to do it for fraudulent purposes to avoid creditors or something like that, then it can be denied. But those are pretty extreme and pretty rare. So it's not something we expect to see. 
Well, Sue, thank you for giving me some time as you head out on your vacation. I just couldn't, I couldn't not call you and ask about this. So congratulations. I know this means a lot to you and other transgender members of our community. But what does it mean more broadly for folks who say, oh, this isn't my fight? Well, I don't know what it means more broadly to anybody who it isn't their fight. I mean, we do look at things in terms of human rights. And there's some of that in the ruling that we should be allowing people to be able to declare their path forward. And the Supreme Court did have some wording wrapped around that. So that's important in the general context in understanding the way they view things. It's good that we view things that are positive for people for them to go through their lives as opposed to putting up barriers to everything. And so I do pull that out of there and I do hope that we see that type of logic used in other decisions. Well, and I guess what I was getting at is that equal rights for all, all means all. All it does every time. Everybody means everybody. We don't separate out 14th Amendment. It's you know, we don't separate people apart and give them different rights. Everybody gets the same stuff. Sue, we all eat from the same menu. We all sit at the same table. Sue Robbins, we miss you. We see you. We hear you. We love everyday people just like you. Is how she always signed off every show. And we look forward to having her back in the weeks and months to come as a guest. When we come back, a conversation about whether or not you, the public, are ready to rock in person at concerts, theaters, plays, indoor and outdoor facilities. And to get us there, a taste of what to expect from Black Whites later this month on the one-year anniversary of George Floyd. We spoke to several of the folks on the creative team earlier this hour, and they sent over a sample of a previous collaboration. This is a piece called A Season in Hell, performed by Randall Packer and Charles Lane. They performed it in 2010 at the San Jose Stage Theater as part of the Zero One Festival of New Media, combining live and recorded elements. It was also filmed in a cemetery in Athens, Georgia, where slaves are buried and Charles was awakening the souls. Only here on Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. Support for KRCL comes from the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast. Filmmaker Loki Mulholland and freedom writer Luvon Brown ask questions about race and racism in America. The Uncomfortable Truth is available on all podcast streaming apps. 
May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and all month long, KRCL brings you Mental Health Mondays with tips and resources from local experts. Join us for the month as we help raise awareness about mental health. Find a list of resources at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thursday Night Psych with DJ Mike Walton at 8 o'clock. The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich comes your way at 1 a.m. At 3, get your illustrated blues with Jolene and then start your brand new day for the last day of the work week with John Florence at 6 a.m. And of course, you can get our entire schedule and the last two weeks of any show on our website, krcl.org. Click on Community Affairs to find the radioactive archives. So are you ready to rock? Well... Utah's arts and culture sector is, and they are ready for you to come back to concerts, plays, and other live events. Tonight, we'll find out if you, the public, are ready based on data in a new survey conducted by some of our guests this evening. And on our panel is Crystal Young-Otterstrom of the Utah Cultural Alliance. Hey, Crystal, how are you? Hey, Laura, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Kyrene Gibb of Y2 Analytics, a Salt Lake City-based market research and data analytics firm. I'm guessing you did the data, Kyrene. That's right. Thanks, Laura. Matt Castillo, Division Director for Salt Lake County Arts and Culture, which operates and manages Abravanel Hall, Capitol Theater, Eccles Theater, Mid-Valley, Rose Wagner, Umoka, and of course operates Artix. Hey, Matt, how are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me today, Laura. Lastly, we have Cynthia Fleming, Executive Director over at Salt Lake Acting Company, which uh, is a theater getting ready to make itself more accessible, especially as we come out of COVID. Hi, Cynthia. How are you? We're doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And and Cynthia, let me start with you. I know you've done a lot of different things to try and keep um, actors and stagehands and the creatives involved in uh, theatrical productions employed. And it's been it's been difficult. You've done a lot of pivoting. Um, you just recently announced uh, a capital campaign to expand, improve and make more accessible your theater over here on Capitol Hill. So it sounds like you're pretty bullish on what's going to happen next. Is that right? Did I use the bull right? Yeah, because a bear you don't want to meet, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, we're um, there are some silver linings uh, from this time that we have lost in some respect and some things that we have gained. But it was it we're doing an inside out campaign because usually a capital campaign you raise all the money and then you start the construction. But we were closed and we were said, okay, now's the time to start and to be to to install an elevator and to work on getting all our programs uh, much more accessible. It's a dream come true for this theater company. And we're 80 percent. We've we've just released it to the public and we've we've raised 80 percent of our goal. Oh, congratulations. That's good to hear. Crystal, I'm guessing you're that warms your heart over at the Utah Cultural Alliance, correct? It sure does. So tell us what you wanted to get at. And we're going to bring Kyrene in for a bit of the data picture. I know she's got a limited time with us this evening. So what was it you were trying to get at and who are all the partners in doing this study? Yeah, so uh, first the partners were Utah Department of Heritage and Arts and their sister division, Utah Division of Arts and Museums. And, and then, of course, Matt Castillo at Salt Lake County Arts and Culture was the third uh, piece of the puzzle for this study. And what we were trying to get at is our industry needed data. They needed information and not just our industry, but also stakeholders and decision makers influencing the rules and regulations that oversee our industry. Uh, we needed information on were people 
interested in coming back? Was their demand at coming back? Were they comfortable? What would make them comfortable? Uh, what kind of, um, you know, we guidelines don't exist now since uh, the end game metrics have been passed. So what information do we need as we make decisions as businesses to protect consumers and to know what our audiences want and the people that we're serving want? And right. So, yeah, that's what we did. Okay. Kyrene with Y2 Analytics. I'm always curious about how these studies are executed because watching political polls, the push poll nature of that kind of stuff always makes me a little, mm, don't know if I trust the way you ask the question, let alone the data. So, who did you ask these questions of on behalf of Utah Cultural Alliance and its partners? Yeah, so our survey was conducted among voters throughout the state of Utah. Uh, so we know that our registered voter population is also one of our populations most likely to participate in the arts and culture sector. Um, we also know that we get pretty good response rates among registered voters in the state of Utah. There's certainly some eagerness to participate and uh, share your opinions, especially among registered voters. So our statewide sample included 1,104 respondents throughout the state of Utah. And we also gathered an oversample of Salt Lake County residents, which totaled 649 respondents from Salt Lake County. Were you able to contrast with perhaps a before, a BC, a before COVID period? A little bit. We're relying heavily on folks' reflections to before COVID or before the pandemic, um, the activities that they participated in and the things that they recalled doing with some frequency before COVID sort of shut everything down. Okay, I understand there's five key findings to remember, and maybe you can run those for us. Sure, happy to. Um, so the, the big takeaways for us from this survey data were that, first of all, we find that a majority of voters throughout the state of Utah are quite comfortable participating in their day-to-day -day activities, such as visiting local businesses and shopping, um, dining in at local restaurants, those things are happening regularly. And a majority, really nine out of 10 voters feel comfortable participating in those activities. Um, when we look at the arts and cultural sector, we find that 60% of Utah voters have not visited these types of venues in more than a year. So pre-COVID times. Um, but when we ask those who currently would not be comfortable participating or haven't done that recently, when they expect to return to the arts and cultural sector, they say that they anticipate feeling comfortable within the next three to six months. We really start to see momentum gather for returning to these venues before the year is out. Um, the second sort of big finding here is that we see that voters expect to spend more on these activities post-pandemic than they did before COVID hit. Pent-up so demand, right? Exactly. There's definitely some sense of pent-up demand, of eagerness to get back to arts and culture. That's something that's been missing for the past year. And certainly across all activities, we see that at least a third of voters expect to spend more doing these things. Fantastic. So the current conditions, how are they feeling about getting back into these these venues? Yeah, so currently we find that over half of voters say that they would be comfortable participating in these activities, but the things that voters are most comfortable doing right now tend to hinge on outdoor performances, things that are easy to social di social distance while you're participating. So zoos and aquariums and botanical gardens are all things that are pretty popular, pretty high on that list of of current comfort levels, along with outdoor performances like concerts, plays, 
What kind of safety measures are they expecting? And will they attend if they got to take a COVID test to get in? <laughs> so the safety measures that voters are most interested in seeing are regular sanitization of high touch surfaces and mask requirements for participants and staff members. Uh, when it comes to required COVID test results, we actually find that a majority of voters throughout the state of Utah say that they would not attend an event that required a test as sort of conditions for admission. Thanks for running the numbers for us. We appreciate it. So Crystal- Thanks so much for having me, Nora. Absolutely. So Crystal, Cynthia, and Matt, let's let's take a broader picture now because I remember the data a year ago, Crystal, about the hit Utah's arts and culture sector took. It was pretty big. It is big. It's $76 million big and growing, 25,000 jobs, and we're still sitting on $17.5 million in ticket liabilities. So that means even with restrictions lifted or if businesses choose to have reduced spacing or lesser spacing, I guess is what we should say, they still can't reach full revenue because they're sitting on these tickets that have been pre-sold that they have to honor. That's not money they can spend because of accounting rules. Um, they, it has to sit there and wait and can't cover salaries. It can't pay the bills um, until those, those, those seats are filled and honored, essentially. And, and those, that ticket, that tough. gate revenue, that's what pays, pays for everything. But there is, a, there is a domino effect as well. I mean, we were spending so much of our, um, our energy and resources on developing arts and culture. You were just getting the data and the numbers to impress upon lawmakers. Look, this is a jobs category. It is a moneymaker. You need to support it the way you support coal or transportation or what have you, Crystal. Absolutely. Uh, we're actually 4.3% of the state's GDP. Um, this is, of course, the pre, pre-COVID numbers. And we, we spout numbers all day long communicating our value. But the best value, the most important thing that this industry brings to this state is that intangible magic, that experience, those memories that are created when you come to our events. And that's kind of the silver lining of COVID is while we can spout the, the quantitative value that this industry brings all day long, you can't really communicate the inexpressible without going and experiencing it yourself. And when yeah. that's taken away, you're like, oh, that is what I've been missing in my life. Yeah. This is what I need. I, I actually was speaking with the, the State Department of Health director yesterday who had just gone to a performance, um, his first performance since pandemic. You know, he's been working probably 100 hour weeks for a year. He likes to joke that he's a human pinata. And he went to his show and he could not, he, he almost couldn't express words without getting emotional to say what it meant for him to be at this performance and see people together again and be safe. And, mm. and his leadership told us get there. And, and, and so when that magic is gone, we all remember. And so we do, while it's very difficult for our industry now, and it's going to be a three to five year recovery period for this industry, we have a lot of optimism of, of kind of the resurgence that we're going to see as a result. Cynthia Fleming of Salt Lake Acting Company. I think your group is an interesting test case because you just talked about how um, you're already 80% of the way on a capital campaign to make some improvements to the building, increase accessibility for everybody to your stages. And that doesn't happen without strong support, your nonprofit as well. And so you've got strong support from members. What you really need are butts in seats. 
And I was curious if you could take us back to the last time you opened curtain there at Slack and, and maybe a little bit of the, what this year has been like, especially as you think about, you know, employing creatives and what they haven't been able to do. Right. Well, the last time I was at Slack and there was a live performance was a final dress rehearsal and we had an invited audience and that was March 11th, 2020 of four women uh, talking about the man under the sheet, which will now open our 50th season in September. It was oh, good. supposed to be March 2020. Um, we kept, kept pushing it. Um, uh, and um, la last night I went to my first live performance and it was Connor Johnson's senior project in his backyard. And when those two actors, I'm getting emotional right now, when those two actors started talking to each other and I was right there, I, I started crying. You know, yeah. it, it's exactly what Crystal said. And I just want to thank Crystal um, for, for her fight has paid off. And with Utah Divisions of Arts and Museums, the county, Utah legislature, um, Slack feels, and I'm sure most arts org organizations feel supported. This is so important, not only supported financially, they're helping us with our loss of ticket income. Um, and, but emotionally and with the knowledge to, uh, there's, there isn't a question that I have that Crystal will not answer for me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That means everything. It does help us breathe. Well, according to the data that Crystal has generously sent over, the economic impact of arts and culture in Utah's creative, from Utah's creative industry by the numbers 2018, 155,551 employed Utahns. And that number, I don't know how low it's gone over the last year, but I know that, that um, the folks that you work with have been on your mind and your, your heart, Cynthia. You've been able to do some interesting things. I remember attending American Dream, which happened virtually. One of the things that you did to pivot, uh, kind of calling back here to Black White that's coming up at the end of the month, we're finding new ways to do things. And it's innovative. Um, what else did you have to do over the last year to keep people working? So American Dreams was a co-production with eight other theater companies nationally. Then we created digital shorts with uh, mostly local playwrights or playwrights with local ties. Then we did a digital um, climbing with tigers for our, our, the, our children's show um, that um, reached uh, three or four times more students. So we're thinking of trying to do both next year, uh, live and digital. And then we did a new play sounding series and we did, I decided, well, if we can't produce work, we can, we can develop work. So we developed three new plays over Zoom in three months. And then it wasn't safe enough because the priority was to keep our artists safe, to keep our audience safe, to bring Alabaster to our stage and do that hybrid, which a dream of mine, which I'm hoping to do the Slack Cabaret will be partial live, partial stream. And so I had already budgeted for set designer, light designer, sound designer, all those live theater designers. And uh, we kept them on and we did it through Zoom. We're filming it. Uh, we filmed it through the actor's home through Zoom from Hawaii, an actress in Hawaii to in LA, the director's in New York. And so is another one of the actors and most of the design team is in Utah. We're right at the, we're almost ready to caption it. The editing process has been 
I mean, it's like the filming of it was like NASA. It was control. They were like mission <laughs> control and how they what every they had about 10 laptops um, going to get every angle of the Zoom, you know, to get two people, one person for, you know, you know, so. Um, but the story is really important now. It's about healing through trauma and um and there's joy and light in it and that's kind of where we are but one thing i love about it the most is it has goats in it and all of us who do have animals we have found some joy and peace and healing through our animals and this reflects that so it, it's it's a play that still needs to be seen in whatever shape but we kind of took everything from the past year and what we've learned but I'm going to be starting a live rehearsal June 1st. I still feel like I'm just pretending to say that. But June 1st, that's in a few weeks. And that's for what production? That's for our summer show, The Slack Cabaret. There you go. Alabaster streaming May 10th and 30th. We'll put the links in the show notes so folks can sign up for it. But I, I love that, it, that it's a darkly comic Southern tale of redemption that examines how one reassembles the pieces of a broken heart. And I think a lot of us need that a cathartic process after the year that we've been through. Matt Castillo, thanks for your patience. Division Director for Salt Lake County Arts and Culture. I think folks forget how much the county, which means our tax dollars as residents of Salt Lake County, um, support the arts and culture sector. Uh, tell us all the different facilities you have and then give us an update on where they stand because I know HB whatever that said it's all over <laughs> has changed some things, but you're probably still working this through this reopening process, Matt. Yes, things are continuing to change every day. Um, we're, we just feel like we're in this constant whirlwind. Um, and so it's, it's so helpful to have our partners at Utah Cultural Alliance, Utah Arts and Museums, and then, of course, all the arts and organi arts organizations um, like Salt Lake Acting Company and others to kind of help us navigate through all of this. Um, so Salt Lake County Arts and Culture, like you mentioned, we um, operate uh, several arts venues. So Capitol Theater, um, Bravenel Hall, Eccles Theater, the Rose Wagner Performing Arts Center, um, the Visual Arts Building, which is home to the Utah Museum of Contemporary Arts. And then our newest building, which we're extremely excited about, um, will be opening on June 1st, the Mid Valley Performing Arts Center in Taylorsville, which has a 400 seat theater, uh, 200 seat uh, black box, rehearsal space, meeting space. So we're really excited to be opening that here shortly. Um, but, um, you know, as you mentioned, things with guidelines are changing very quickly. Um, at this point, you know, we're staying the course. Um, you know, we're continuing to require face coverings, um, reduced capacity, uh, symptom checking, things like that. But we're continuing to evaluate that on an ongoing basis. Um, and, and, of course, um, you know, working with uh, county leadership and the health department and figuring out what the right choices are as we continue to navigate this. And I think that's one thing that's been so helpful with this survey um, is understanding, you know, what sort of appetites um, Utahns have for engaging with the arts and what sort of things are important with them as they do start to re-engage. Um, you know, we know that health and safety guidelines are still really important and different different patrons have different comfort levels with um, engaging with different types of, of events. Um, and so I think it's really amazing to continue to see um, arts organizations do all sorts of new things. You know, we know right now that patrons are most excited or most, um, I guess, comfortable engaging with outdoor events or events in large spaces. And so it's amazing to see things happen like you know, Cynthia, you mentioned backyard performances. We've seen performances in parks and parking garages. I mean, in all sorts of really creative spaces. And of course, that's what 
our industry does is innovate and create and, and you know come up with just amazing things um, out of out of out of seemingly nothing. Um, so that's been really exciting to see that and and when we're just continuing to support that and, and help help all of our partners navigate that. Well, Salt Lake County Parks, I understand, turns 75 this year. So how about we take a Bravanel Hall, Capitol Theater, Eccles. Why don't we take them to the parks? What about that, Matt? What about <laughs> that kind of innovation, the old Lyceum approach to um, taking in nature and thinking about literature, arts, and music? There's a lot of that that has happened in the parks in the past. Are we ready to do that? Yeah, I mean, we, we work with our, our colleagues at Parks and Rec and the library system as well has a lot of really great outdoor spaces and amphitheaters. And so we're, we're constantly working together to, to find ways to support arts organizations and being able to do what they do best and, and you know, do events in parks. Um, we're, we're certainly seeing more of that. You know, we've got living traditions, um, you know, moving to different parks throughout the city. Um, we've got uh, open streets with downtown Alliance doing things along Main Street downtown. So it's just, it's really exciting to see that happening. And we're, you know, we're continuing those conversations and hopefully we'll be announcing new, new exciting things here before long. So Matt, where can the public get up to speed on if a venue such as a Bravanel Hall is open to maybe jog their mind that, oh, I should check out what's playing, so to speak, or hopefully, I mean, everybody knows Garth Brooks is coming to Rice Eccles here in July. But uh, who's coming yeah. to Ravenel and when is a little trickier, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think right now as things are changing, it's especially tricky. Um, you know, different different venues have different guidelines. As far as county venues, you can always go to saltlakecountyarts.org or arctics.org to see what's happening at our venues um, and what our current guidelines are. Um, and I know Crystal can talk about now playing Utah, which, which covers, um, you know, venues across the state as well. So another great resource for those interested in and going to arts and culture events. Thanks, Matt Castillo. So, Crystal, coming back to you, uh, I want to hear about that. But voters most look forward to festivals, zoos, and sporting events, kind of uh, what the big three were before COVID. So what do we got to do to get folks back into live venues, which are closed environments for the most part when we're talking theater and um, concert houses and plays? Well, a few things. Uh, it was interesting on the survey to see promotions and deals listed as actually the third thing that consumers listed as kind of what would make them comfortable to go. Just <laughs> We want our BOGO, things. right? <laughs> knowing that things are happening because um, there's definitely still a lot of perception that things aren't happening and things have been happening. This industry has been fortunate that we have been allowed to be open since June of last year. Of course, what open means meant different things in different parts of the state. And for many of our industry, virtual options is the only thing they've offered since the pandemic. And for others, it's been a hybrid. And for some, it's been fully back and in person, but you can find activities at nowplayingutah.com statewide. And that website is a partnership. Again, uh, we love partnerships in this industry. Uh, and, and so the founders are actually Salt Lake County Arts and Cultures app. Uh, uh, visit Salt Lake and Utah Division of Arts and Museums. And now we at Utah Cultural Alliance Foundation um, manage Now Playing Utah as one of our programs. And it's a statewide calendar of everything to see and do for million unique visitors. And you can search for virtual you can search for different uh, safety features, whatever you're comfortable with right now. It is the nature of our industry that a lot of what we do pre-pandemic this time of year is already outside and festival oriented and out, outdoor concert oriented. 
um, our, our kind of traditional performing arts season really is a fall and winter kind of a thing. And so it's kind of fortuitous that where the consumer interest lies is, is already how our industry kind of serves consumers this time of year, but to get them back and fully comfortable in the fall, which I, I think a lot of us are hoping to resume normal operations as an industry in the fall is to continue to see cases drop, to continue to see vaccinations increase. Um, I actually spoke with some of our um, industry members today who are interested in, in hosting some vaccination sites at, at their summer concerts and things. And, and that's an option that's available to our industry, thanks to our partners at the state. And so you'll see a lot of kind of exciting things like that. Go to a concert, get your vaccine if you haven't already. But but we have, you know, you've probably seen Ben Winslow's reporting. We actually are doing pretty good at, at vaccinating as a state. Um, cases are dropping. I think people feel optimistic. Um, my two-week window is Monday, and I already have a lot of plans with friends I haven't seen in a year, and I I can't wait. <laughs> well, there's uh, CARES Act money. There's American Resource Plan money. Um, I don't know if I'm getting that act correct. Uh, American Relief Act. That's what go. we're working on right yeah. now. Yep. And uh, that's, a, that's a lot of money coming to the state and prioritizing it for folks coming out of, of COVID. And there's a lot of folks that, that want to get their, their hands on that. But I'm looking at some other data that you sent as well. And according to study conducted by the National Endowment of the Arts, Utah is number one nationwide in art creation. That kind of shocked me. And Utah's number three nationwide in cultural event attendance. That one doesn't doesn't shock me when I think about the things I grew up with and doing road shows and singing in church and all that. It doesn't surprise me that we like to go out and see see the arts. But um, bes besides supporting nonprofits and their calls for what they want to see done with that money, what can the public do to support the creative industry in Utah? I'm happy to take that question, but if any of my colleagues want to jump in, we'll get you all in on it. Go ahead, Crystal. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, uh, any number of things, of course, donate, 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 go, go, go. Um, if you're still sitting on tickets that you purchased before the pandemic and instead of keeping them as ticket credit, consider giving them back as donations and getting that tax break. And that will help these businesses who are sitting on those ticket mm -hmm. liabilities we talked about before. Um, going on now playing Utah and Arctics to find things to do. We are here and ready to serve. Um, I'm going to music of Andrew Lloyd Webber on Saturday at Eccles Theater. I'm so excited. I'm seeing Les Mis on Tuesday. I'm so excited. I have tickets to everything the symphony is doing right now because <laughs> I'm a crazy person who lives for all this stuff. <laughs> Maybe not a crazy person. I'm the sane one, right? <laughs> there you go. So what is the all website right. for Utah Cultural Alliance and give us now playing Utah as well? Sure. So utculture.org. And if you're looking for all this, uh, the study itself and, and the economic data we've talked about, you can just go to utculture.org forward slash economic. Um, but uh, nowplayingutah.com is where to find things to do. And uh, if I can make a plug for buying tickets from primary ticket sellers yes. while we have the platform, that'd be great. Because if you're going on KSL or Facebook or whatever, your chance of getting scammed is huge. And chances are tickets are still available to these uh, shows from the primary seller for probably a third of what you'd see online. Um, and if you really do can't get tickets, something's sold out, you got to go on the secondary market, go to places like StubHub 
who will protect your investment if 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 defraud happen if fraud happens um, and it's a recurring problem for our industry so we love to educate whenever we can that if you're just googling salt lake acting company online you might get their website but chances are you'll get a copycat website that's actually a yeah. ticket reseller and so if you go to places like artix and now playing utah.com you're only going to get primary seller links and not secondary ticket links so you know you're you're being safe thank you crystal matt castillo what's the first uh in-person live venue thing that you're looking forward to or maybe you're fully vaccinated and you just went well, yeah, I've, I've been going to events um, for a little while now at Salt Lake County Arts and Culture. We reopened to, to live performances at the end of March. So I've been to a couple of symphony concerts and we've got some great ballet national choreographic festival coming up. Um, the opera is starting this weekend. Um, so I'm just so excited about, you know, all these events taking place. And it really, I mean, it's been amazing to see all the t all the types of virtual events that have taken place and to see, you know, art interpreted in that way. But there's really nothing like seeing um, events in person. And I think, um, you know, as far as how people can support the arts and culture industry right now, I would say, you know, of course, donate if you have the means. Um, but also, you know, talk to your friends about what's going on. A big, a big problem right now is just awareness. There are lots of events going on and there's lots of ways to engage with arts and culture. So share it on social media, talk to your friends, um, and, and let's all share the excitement and get out and experience some art. Thanks, Matt Castillo and Cynthia Fleming, Salt Lake Acting Company. We're going to close out with you and your hopes, your concerns, your call to folks to support the arts. You know, I don't mean to make you cry again, Cynthia, yeah. but, but I'm guessing it's going to be emotional when you have that June 1st rehearsal for Cabaret. I know. I keep thinking about it. I get all choked up, and I, I um, but uh, but really, on the other hand, I feel like I'm just pretending. I think I'm just pretending until I'm talking to the set designer, I'm talking to the playwrights, and it's still like this is just play because this is what we do. And so I don't know exactly how it's going to hit us, but I'm very grateful for it. I'm grateful for the vac vaccination. I am fully uh, vaccinated. Um, actor equity. Um, recommends, suggests is highly makes, um, all of us will be uh, vaccinated. Uh, and I think we still will be wearing masks um, if you're not performing on stage. But um, I think Crystal and Matt said it beautifully. I'm very, I've lived, I grew up here, but I've lived in LA, Chicago, New York. So the, you know, the most biggest arts places. And I came back to Utah and I would not want to be anywhere else. I, at just love how everyone loves the arts around here, this, this small community in relation. When we, we mostly hire locally, but when we do have artists that come in, they're blown away at Salt Lake City and they cannot believe how much art is available, how cool it is. And um, so I'm very proud to be here and I wouldn't wanna be anywhere else. And yeah, just get vaccinated. You know, it should be free, like, um, you know, like a long cone gift, get a, you know, <laughs> you want swag with that vaccination. Buy a ticket, get a vaccine. <laughs> well, Cynthia, tell folks the website where folks can get more about Slack, but also Alabaster, which made possible in part by the generous support of Salt Lake County taxpayers for the Zoo Arts and Parks Fund, yes. Utah Division of Arts and Museums, and the Utah State Legislature. 
Yes, and it's a new website because it's it's the Slack Digital. So it's slackdigital.athomearts.org. That's how you'll access um, our um, alabaster. And, um, and then, of course, when it's time uh to we don't even know when tickets are going to go sell on sale with the, the cabaret yet because we're not really sure how many people we can see yet so we're still fi figuring that all out you know how everything changes day to day right matt and crystal it's like every day it's a new day it, and a worry that happens and i'm going mm, that might not be a worry in three days so <laughs> you know, that's what's so kind of difficult decision making We'll check the show notes. We'll put all the links that we've been talking about this hour in the show notes at carecl.org. Click Community Affairs to find the archives. Thank you so much, Crystal, Cynthia, Matt, Kyrene, all the folks that are on the show tonight. Really appreciate your time here on Radioactive. Thank you so much. So good to see all Thank of you. Thank you so much. So grateful. And that is Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions, send me an email radioactive at krcl.org. We're always looking for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, anybody getting up to good trouble that we can pass the mic to. That's what we're here for. We're going to go out with another song suggested by Los Angeles-based tenor and performance artist Charles Lane. He's in Black White coming up on Wednesday, May 25th, a live internet performance work that confronts racial polarization on the anniversary of George Floyd. It's co-hosted by our own Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company out of Salt Lake City. And Charles said that Lean On Me by Bill Withers is one of the scenes, in essence, in Black White. Check the show notes to find out what I'm talking about and reserve your seat on Crowdcast. I'm Laura Jones. This has been Radioactive, a production of Listener's Community Radio of Utah. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. Sometimes in our life we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but